You are listening to a podcast from Providence Reformed Baptist Church. If you would like to listen to more of our sermons, please visit our website at providencewi.org. Those of you who use the Table Talk uh, worship supplement that comes out on Monday might be saying, wait a minute, we were John 19, 1 through 7. Uh, That is pastoral error. Uh, That's next week's text. (laughs) So uh, you you can just be surprised at what I send out tomorrow. It might be a review of today's message. John chapter 18, and I'm beginning, the Lord Jesus is before Pilate. He's been arrested all night long. This court has gone on against the Jewish code, by the way. You couldn't try a capital crime in the middle of the night. You were supposed to do that during the day. It wasn't a Bible thing. It was, it was a, a local law thing. It was the, just the procedures that they had put themselves under. But they decided this case warranted a a suspension of the rules. So verse 28 of John 18 records what happened that morning at sunrise. Then they led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled, but might eat the Passover. Therefore Pilate went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to him, If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. So Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. The Jews said to him, We are not permitted to put anyone to death. To fulfill the word of Jesus, which he spoke, signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. Therefore Pilate entered into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Your own nation and the chief priest delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Therefore, Pilate said to him, So you are a king. Jesus answered, You say correctly that I am a king. For this I have been born, and for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews and said to them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Let's pray and then you can be seated. So our Father, we realize that this is uh, just another part of of the order of this gathering today that we call worship, and yet we so want it to be more than uh, just a a message that we judge and decide if it's too long or too short, if we agree or disagree. We want to hear from you. Make your word clear. Equip us to step into this week. Convict us of sins in our lives. Give us hope that where there is sin, there is a savior, a sufficient savior, and we're seeing him walking to the only payment for sinners like us. We ask that you'd open our eyes, that we would behold these wonderful things in your law. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated.
We lost a real prince of a guy in April of 2012, uh, Chuck Colson, Charles Wendell. This is his full name. Uh, when, when you read an obituary about Chuck Colson, he's called an evangelical Christian leader. However, some of you who go back far enough say, what? Because this man uh, gained notoriety in, in our country as Richard Nixon's hatchet man. He was brought in and he vigorously, when, when you work for the president as a press secretary or whatever you're doing, you'd better believe in what you're saying or, or because your job is to defend that leader at any cost. And so his job was to defend the president After the Watergate scandal, he pleaded guilty to obstruction of justice for attempting to, to defame Daniel Ellsberg. Again, some of you remember this really well. Uh, I was a little kid at the time, but I do remember all of these names, all of the attorneys' names, and all of the scandals, like some of you kids are going to remember a lot of the things we're hearing about on the news all the time now. In 1974, Chuck Colson served seven months in a federal uh, at Maxwell prison in Alabama, and he was the first member of the Nixon administration to be incarcerated for Watergate-related charges. Just before he went to prison, he had a friend who, uh, Colson was, was really a mess. He was, as I heard his daughter describe him recently, you, you know, type A, <laughs> type A personality, driven, 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 and, and he was always on a mission. He was a very intense man, and yet circumstances in his life, in his family life, as well as in his <laughs> preparation for going to prison for, he didn't know how long, uh, a CEO of a, a very large corporation in the United States who knew Jesus gave him a book. Because Colson was a real thinker, he thought this would be a good thing. Uh, and so he gave Colson C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Colson was a hardened unbeliever, and God w used that book to direct him to the scriptures, to direct him to the hope of the gospel. And Chuck Colson, Richard Nixon's hatchet man, became a servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and, and years later back in that prison and a lot of other prisons started a ministry called Prison Fellowship that exists to this day uh, was preaching the gospel to, to the incarcerated and, and uh, representing, uh, representing biblical Christianity. Uh, he, he was very big on challenging Christians to develop a Christian worldview. I say this because, uh, as an introduction because in the text that we're studying, there is a, there's a kingdom conflict that you see when we're headed into this particular portion of John's gospel. You really have three kingdoms represented, and I'll talk about them a little bit more a little bit later. But the point is this, you have Rome... <clears throat> really arguably, not the biggest, this wasn't Babylon, but when it comes to power, when it comes to military might, when it comes to organization, Rome had to be this, this iron kingdom, this, the, the powerful kingdom, represented in this story by Pontius Pilate. Then you had Israel, really largely a puppet kingdom. Even their king wasn't of the sons of David anymore. 
They're, they're kings uh, from Herod the Great who ruled in the time of Jesus to, to now uh, <clears throat> people like Herod Antipas who were ruling really had no, no place in national Israel. But they still had a nation. They still were governed uh, largely by God's laws. They still had a center of worship in Jerusalem and Herod the Great had built them a big temple. That's another kingdom that's going on. And I'm going to argue that that still is an earthly kingdom. Uh, in Jesus' day, even though within that there were other people. But then you had this third kingdom, and this, this was the tension between Pilate and the national Jews and the Lord Jesus. What is this kingdom about? Are you a king? What kind of a king are you? And when it came to Pilate's interests, he really wanted to know, uh, has this fellow done anything worthy of execution? I want to go briefly back to Chuck Colson because he, he really helped me solidify some of these things in my mind about, about this kingdom because there are Christians and I, I, guess, I guess I could say I've been a part of that through the years thinking, well, if we become stronger and we evangelize people and we get strong believers from the White House down to the city council, we really can transform the nation by getting these people in the, po- in the positions of power where they ought to be. And I, I tell you that because I do not believe that is our agenda as the church. I, I no longer believe that. I will tell you, just in case this makes you uneasy, I, I do believe that we, and these are Chuck Colson's words, we're the conscience of the nation and it's a stewardship for us to serve in public places. So run for the school board, run for the city council. Don't just say I'm going to run for the United States Senate. Start where you are, be salt and light where you are. And this is where we, when we look at these characters in scripture who had influential positions on a, a lot of them on a global stage, their service was what made them stand out. And so a friend of mine was at a Chuck Colson gathering, <clears throat> actually at the old Metrodome. And Colson is standing before a whole bunch of men who, who largely shared the same political persuasion like a lot of us do. And he was talking about how so often he comes toe-to-toe with people who absolutely oppose uh, someone who would call themselves, like I do, a conservative. And he said, sometimes, sometimes don't you want to just poke a liberal in the eye? And this group of men said, yeah, yeah. And, and there was just a big raucous crowd, my friend said. But Colson got very sober and he said, no, this is the whole problem. No, we don't fight with the world's weapons. We're not fighting with the world's earthly kingdom weapons. We don't fight fire with fire. It's like they punch us. We're going to punch them back. They have control of the media. We're going to have our own media. They have their liberal their liberal organizations. We're going to start our conservative organizations. That may all be well and good, but when we're talking about the kingdom of Jesus, as you see the king of kings who could have called legions of angels to come and destroy everyone who was opposing him, the Lord Jesus is letting us in, in these words, and the gospel of John is letting us in on this picture. There's something better. There's something bigger than taking over here, than being the influence, than being the letter to the editor that transforms the nation. As much as those things have their place, just just some quick quotes from Colson. 
Christians should never have a political party. He didn't say should never be a part of a political party. Should never have a political party. It's a huge mistake to become married to an ideology because the greatest enemy of the gospel is ideology. Ideology is a man-made format of how the world ought to work, and Christians instead believed in the, reve- the revealing truth of Scripture. He said, The lure of power can separate the most resolute of Christians from the true nature of Christian leadership, which is service to others. It's difficult to stand on a pedestal and wash the feet of those below. When the church aligns itself politically, it gives priority to the compromises and temporal successes of the political world rather than its Christian confession of eternal truth. And when the church gives up its rightful place as the conscience of the culture, the consequences for society can be horrific. And my favorite, life is a mess. And theology must be lived out in the midst of that mess. Now, if you think I'm saying that Christians ought to disengage from culture, you've totally missed what I'm saying. And what... what Chuck Colson was saying during his life. The point is not that we shouldn't engage our culture. The point is that the weapons we have, the weapons of our warfare are something so much bigger than the, than the, the power plays that we get so used to starting from when we're little kids. And we fuss and fume and we know exactly what buttons to push when we're in the grocery store and we want that thing on the shelf and we know that mom doesn't have the nerve to stand up to us. It's the same thing in our world. It's a different kind of kingdom. All kingdoms have origins. All kingdoms have authority. All kingdoms have citizenship. And all kingdoms have destiny. I said there are, there are three of those three of those kingdoms represented in the text that we're seeing today, and I I want you just to consider uh, what was that origin, authority, citizenship, and destiny, for instance, of national Israel. Because the Lord Jesus was, I mean, he grew up in in this system, a system of worship, uh, a system of laws. There were powerful people. They came from somewhere. They knew where they came from, and they knew where they were headed. Israel originated when the creator set his affection on one group of people who descended from the patriarchs, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And to this nation, God exclusively spoke revelation and established laws that revealed his character by which the people were to live or pay the consequences. When it comes to authority, the kingdom of Israel was a theocracy. It was governed by God and his laws through earthly kings. Citizenship in this kingdom came through entering into the family covenant through birth and circumcision. The destiny of national Israel, national Israel was destined to find its ultimate purpose in pointing people to the ultimate king. When we talk about Rome, Rome began as a republic many centuries before Christ, and uh, as, as the Greek empire faded, Rome became more and more powerful and went from being a republic to being an empire that lasted centuries into the Christian era. Rome was, was an empire organized with laws, was governed by emperors, and enforced their laws and their culture by military might and expanded that way, which is why Israel was, in some ways, a puppet government to Rome at this point in time. There were a lot of ways to achieve citizenship, including being born to citizens, uh, buying 
your citizenship, outstanding service. If you were in a, a kingdom that was taken over by Rome, there were ways you could become a citizen that way as well. The destiny of Rome was this. It faded into obscurity by the 5th century AD. As people say, Rome didn't fall in a, in a day. But we're talking about the unshakable kingdom of God. This, the Lord Jesus coming and talking about his mission as king. What was that mission? Because if you were a part of Rome, you saw his kingship as possibly a threat. If you were a part of Israel, a lot of people saw that as a little bit of hope that, that it was going to be a threat to Rome. But the kingdom of God has its origins in eternity past. The authority of this kingdom is the creator himself and his pronouncements. Citizenship in this kingdom is not by birth. It's a covenant that's entered by faith. And the destiny of this kingdom is eternity future. The confusion surrounding the arrest of Jesus really came in part from a misunderstanding of, of who he is, who he claimed to be before the Jewish leaders and before the Romans he was able to stand before. The, the Jewish leaders wanted to maintain the illusion of the power that they had, even though you see in this text that they didn't have a lot. And Pilate and the Romans wanted to maintain the illusion of the power they had. We'll see that in chapter 19. When, when he flexes his power and says, don't you know that I have authority to? We'll get to that later. Really, the crowds of people wanted, wanted the right people in power who would keep their lives peaceful and prosperous. So when we look at what's happening here, we have to see this from a different kingdom perspective. The Lord Jesus was brought before one set of rulers, and now sun is up and he's brought before a different set of rulers. They led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium. Not all of your Bibles have the word praetorium, but that actually is the, the word that's used there. They led Jesus from Caiaphas into the praetorium, and it was early, and they themselves did not enter into the praetorium so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. And just before we move any further, the question comes up among skeptics, well, I thought they already had the Passover, so that means you've got contradictions. Remember, this is a, this is a long feast. And so to participate in any part of this meant you could not be ceremonially defiled. The praetorium was a part of a massive government complex that was just, just north of the temple. So if you can see the screen, there's an arrow to the temple complex. The bottom part of the screen is the Kidron Valley. So this is where the Lord Jesus and his disciples went back and forth every day through the three years of his ministry during feast times. So they would stay at the bottom of your screen would be the Mount of Olives. And they would cross the Kidron Valley and enter into the celebrations at the temple. But in Jesus' day, there's a massive government complex. Our family got to go to Washington, D.C. this year, and the, the, the cool architecture that you see above ground is nothing. I mean, and, and I know we didn't get into much of it, but we, uh, uh, Senator Johnson's staff let us go underground and ride a little train over to... There is so much there. I mean, there's some serious architecture there. And it's impressive. And so you take a look at this scale drawing of what was going on. You see uh, the fortress of Antonia and the Praetorium was a temporary headquarters for Pilate. Pilate did not normally stay in Jerusalem. Pilate was normally in Caesarea. 
And because it was a feast time, because there would be thousands and thousands of Jews coming into town as a show of Roman force just to keep the, uh, the Jewish zealots, the assassins from, from killing a lot of Roman officials, they had a big presence. That's why there were so many soldiers who went into the garden to arrest Jesus the night before. Pilate's job was to keep the peace. And yes, in some ways that meant to, to please the Jews. And so Pilate was headquartered in the Praetorium and it says that the Jews didn't want to actually go into the building so that they would not be defiled but might eat the Passover. I want you to note the word defiled in this text. Uh, The the word defiled in in this text is, uh, it actually just means stained. And it isn't a common word in the New Testament, but it's picturing something that as, as you read your Bible and you look and see what these very, very religious people believed, they believed that somehow the, the physical presence of a Gentile, there were, there were rumors that, that Gentiles, that Romans would, would kill their babies and bury them in their homes, and it was just, just horrid things. The rumors that went around, some of it could have been true, but because they weren't to come in contact with the dead body to go into a Roman home, according to to some historians from this day, would have brought about a a ceremonial staining. And they didn't want that. Some of you are are real hand washers. That's not necessarily a bad thing, but but isn't it true? Sometimes you you hear a child coughing uh, across the room and you want to just go wash your hands. That's the way these people were, except they thought it was a spiritual thing. They didn't want to defile themselves. I, I knew of a, a young believer uh, who had to rent a, a moving truck. It was actually a family member. And uh, the pastor of the church took him to, to rent the vehicle. But the pastor didn't want to go into this place because they served alcohol. So he sent this young Christian into this place to rent the vehicle. All right, this is what we're talking about. This is what we're talking about here. So Pilate knew these guys. And so Pilate, we're going to read, came out and appeased them. I want you to notice the hypocrisy and how easy it is to fall prey to hypocrisy when you add a whole bunch of religious standards to the Bible. They had just violated their own code in the way they attempted to convict Jesus of a capital crime in the middle of the night. Not to mention lying and plotting against the creator of the universe but they decided to stay outside Pilate's Hall for fear of getting stained by entering a Gentile building. Don't, don't overlook the irony of this time when religious people feared man-made standards more than they feared God. We, we should be careful. And I, I, have, I have so many times in my lifetime fallen that way where I, I, I make a major over a minor Therefore, Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? <clears throat> that Rome was a system of laws and, and even, even a government like that is better than anarchy, at least when you read the scripture. God recognizes human governments and so Pilate said, okay, if we're gonna do this legally, what are the charges? What are the charges? And you notice their response. If this man were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him to you. You know what they're saying? Trust us. We wouldn't bring him here if he wasn't a bad guy. He's a bad guy. Kill him. Trust us on this one. 
We'll tell you later what he did. There was no love, by the way, uh, lost between Pilate and the Jewish authorities. And you can see that bleeding through in a lot of places here. But I'll tell you, the Jews knew how to get their way. It's kind of like, let's see, do I ask mom or dad who is the softer touch? And when is the good time to ask mom or dad when there's softer touch? These people knew that Pilate was interested in keeping things under control. They knew that this was kind of like in the grocery store when there are people all the way around you. That's the time to throw the fit. And so they knew that Pilate was a weak leader. They knew that Pilate didn't like them, but they also knew that this was the time to get what they wanted from him. He had a responsibility to maintain order, particularly at Passover. So the accusers of Jesus essentially told Pilate that he was going to have to trust them on the legitimacy of the charges. So Pilate said, I'll take him yourselves and judge him according to your law. That, by the way, was a, a, a bit of a slam. It's hard to miss his thoughts for these people uh, when you see his interaction with them before the crucifixion. He knew they were up to no good, right? We've read enough about what these people were doing through the Gospel of John, those of you who've been a part of this study. He knew they were up to no good, but what did he also know? I can't have a riot. It could cost me my job. If I let this city get out of control, hundreds of thousands of people are gathered in this city and they're bringing their sacrifices and the blood has been flowing freely in the temple and, and there's, there's so much going on here. So he says, take him yourselves, but, well, I'll comment on that in, in, a, in a moment. The, the Jews... I'll just say it now. The Jews didn't have the authority under Rome to execute. When they did execute, they executed by stoning. John added his own commentary, by the way. Look at our, our verses here. The Jews said to him, we are not permitted to put anyone to death. And then John added this. So if you have this in your Bible, I, I don't think the Jews said to fulfill the word of Jesus. <clears throat> so John's adding his own commentary to fulfill the word of Jesus which he spoke signifying by what kind of death he was about to die. So, so here's what's happening. This is why John says this is a, a fulfillment of prophecy. Here they are standing before Pilate. They say, Swenson paraphrased, kill this guy. Kill this guy, execute him in the most gruesome way possible. Distrust us, he's a, he's a bad guy. And Pilate says, try him according to your own law. Now, according to Jewish law, the... Crucifixion was just not a thing. It, it wasn't cursed as everyone who hangs on a tree. I mean, that, they didn't hang people on trees. They didn't crucify. They stoned. There were, there were other means of, methods of execution, but the Phoenicians in that region developed something called crucifixion. The Romans didn't always use it, and they didn't invent it, but they certainly perfected it, and that was what went on around Jerusalem. It was a testament to everyone around, don't you cross us. And so the most annoying people around, the worst sinners around, which would be insurrectionists, murderers, thieves, and we're not just talking about people who, who shoplift, we're talking about people who would rob others. Those were the kind of people who were executed in the Roman way. And the reason John says they wanted the Jews, or rather they wanted the Romans to execute Jesus because Jesus had said, 
I, if I be lifted up, will draw men to myself. And then you look back in Zechariah about piercing and you read Isaiah chapter 53 about the Lord Jesus or about the, the coming king who would be Jesus being pierced for our transgressions. You hear the Lord Jesus prophesying during his earthly ministry, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to be turned over to the Romans. I'm going to be crucified. So John says, that's why this fell together. This wasn't all about human power. This wasn't about the Jews getting their way or Pilate getting his way. There was something bigger going on and John wants us to understand that. Move on. As you're following along in your Bible, we're up to verse 33. Therefore, Pilate entered again into the praetorium. So he came outside to appease these people who didn't want to to defile themselves by entering his praetorium. He entered again into the praetorium and summoned Jesus and said to him, are you the king of the Jews? Now, some might ask, how do we know what the conversation was since it was on the inside? And I, I honestly have to say, I don't know, but I'm not too worried about it. Whether the Spirit revealed it to John or, or it was something that was a part of the official record that John wrote down later, all we know is Jesus and Pilate had a one-on-one conversation that's going to carry on and off into chapter 19. And Pilate asked the question that he needed to ask in order to do his job. Are you the king of the Jews? How could the Lord Jesus answer that question? Are you the king of the Jews? And of course, Pilate wanted a yes or a no, and then he could pursue it a little bit further. Are you the king of the Jews? The best charge they had was the claim that Jesus was the king, or that he claimed to be the king. And any attempt to overthrow Roman authority would have been punishable by death. But you notice in verse 34, Jesus answered, how often did he do this? He answers a question with a question. Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, well, are you asking me because of your own curiosity? Are you saying this on your own initiative? Or are you asking me because that's what these people have been saying? Do you really want to know if I'm a king is what Jesus is saying? Is this your thing or is this just your job? Are you saying this on your own initiative or did others tell you about me? And Pilate answered, I'm not a Jew, am I? Well, we probably got a response there, right? He just wants to get this day done. Let's just, let's just get things settled so I can go back down to the Mediterranean coast. Jesus fully knew, of course, what was about to happen, but he used the occasion to expose Pilate's heart. He, he's good at doing that. He's good at doing that. And I'm not saying that this is a biblical command that we answer questions with questions, but it, it does help us when, when people ask us something, we, we draw out why they're really asking us when we say, well, what do you mean by that? And that's what the Lord's doing. He's wanting things clarified. Pilate's patience grew very thin as he revealed that he just wanted to get his work done. And so Jesus answered the question in a roundabout way. Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. So there you go. We we go back to, to talking about national Israel and the Roman Empire and a kingdom that is not of this world. That the writer of Hebrews in talking to a bunch of Jews who were about to have their entire system of worship torn to shreds permanently, this unshakable kingdom. It's immovable. It's, it's something that, that cannot be broken. 
Jesus is saying this is an entirely different kind of kingdom uh, of which I'm the ruler. My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. And then this takes us back to what? The night before. (laughs) And the discussion among the disciples and Jesus gives them permission to have two swords and Peter uses one of them to take off the ear of the servant to the high priest Malchus and the Lord Jesus puts the ear back on this fellow and warns Peter, you, you live by the sword, you're gonna die by the sword. This is not what we're all about, Peter. And so Jesus had to educate Pilate If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Pilate had no way of understanding this kind of kingdom. And and I'll say, the kingdom of God really is no threat to earthly order. The gospel of Christ has prospered everywhere it has gone, right? Right? Everywhere the gospel of Christ has gone, it has prospered under under communism. The gospel has prospered under socialism. The gospel has prospered under free enterprise capitalism. It isn't to say that there aren't some systems that are better than others. I, I think there are. However, our job is not to take over. Our job is to influence with truth, with a message Citizens of the eternal kingdom have always served to make their earthly masters look good. With no interest on their part, or at least they shouldn't have had it, with no interest on their part of taking over temporal realms. It wasn't their job. So when you look at Old Testament Joseph, and you look at Daniel, and you look at King David serving under Saul, and serving under the Philistine kings, and you look at Nehemiah, All these people who were among the movers and shakers of their culture, they were in powerful positions of influence. And what did they do? They were faithful. They were servants. They were, to quote Chuck Colson, foot washers. They faithfully carried out their duties to their earthly masters, making their earthly masters more prosperous, making their earthly masters look good, while at the same time advancing a kingdom. Making a kingdom that's invisible look visible outwardly. Their task had been to live in such a way as to make visible the invisible. So when you look at these guys who faithfully carried out their duties to their earthly masters, they remained loyal to the king of kings and his eternal kingdom. So Pilate says, what did you do? I need something to charge you with. If you're not a king, what are you? What's going on? And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then my servants would be fighting so that I would not be handed over to the Jews. But as it is, my kingdom is not of this realm. Well, what kind of kingdom is this? Well, you look at John the Baptist. When Jesus arrived, before he started his public ministry, John the Baptist called people to prepare for a different kind of king. It's not that this king would not make demands on your life in the here and now, but there was a place where that started. So John said, repent. 
repent. Faith and repentance are opposite sides of the same coin. We're being asked for a transfer of loyalty. Not that we forsake our American citizenship when we, when we follow Jesus, but, but we become, like the apostles said, we must obey God rather than men. There's a, a bigger eternal kingdom and I have to be willing to pay the price in the earthly kingdom if I have to disobey its laws in order to obey higher laws. John was talking more about what was going on inside their lives. He was asking them to turn from their sins because the kingdom is here. This different kind of kingdom requires internal change. And that's why Mark's gospel says after John had been taken into custody by Herod Antipas, who we're seeing here in our our text today. After John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. This kingdom requires an internal change. And Jesus taught that the activity of his kingdom goes forward when he is present. That's why he's talking about the casting out of demons and people are saying, how do you do that? How do you, I bet that's a demonic thing. Jesus said, if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, the king is here. In Luke chapter 17, the Pharisees were looking forward to a kingdom with a more powerful display of strength than Rome could muster. And all Jesus had to offer was himself. Having been questioned by the Pharisees as to when the kingdom of God was coming, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed, nor will they say, look, here it is, or there it is, for behold, the kingdom of God is in your midst. In other words, I'm here. Uh, To to quote a a recent song, a contemporary Christian song, uh, wherever the king is, there is the kingdom. The question before we go on for you and me is, are we just looking for something in the future? Or is the king present now? Is there a kingdom advancing now? Is there something that we're a part of that's more than just all about our eschatology? As the Lord Jesus is preparing to ascend to heaven after his resurrection, a legitimate question came from the disciples. When they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the earth. How does this kingdom spread? It's, it's about truth which is why the apostles believed this way, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory by the exertion of the power that he has even to subject all things to himself. Even the disciples failed to understand that the Lord was not going to snatch power away from Rome. He was about to rescue people by his death and his resurrection, out of every tribe, tongue, and nation. The real vanquishing of the real enemy was going to come through the power of a message preached. And so while the apostles believed in a future kingdom consummation, they taught that citizens enter that kingdom and serve its king during their earthly lives. So Paul writes, for he rescued us, past tense, right? 
He's writing to the saints. He rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Okay, so there's the kingdom of God working through the presence of the Lord Jesus among his people and Pilate says, so you are a king. Back to John's gospel, verses 37 and 38. So you are a king and Jesus answered, you say correctly, I believe the King James says, thou sayest. You say correctly that I am a king, for this I have been born. In other words, this is the mission. And for this I have come into the world to testify to the truth. I think, Steve thinks, his personal opinion, in looking at this text, I think Pilate realized at this point not, wow, I need to bow the knee, this is the true king. I think what's going through this guy's mind is, this guy is no danger. This Jesus character is no danger to us. I have no means of prosecuting him. So I want to stay out of trouble. I think this guy may be crazy, but I just, I mean, why doesn't he, we're going to see when Jesus doesn't respond coming up in, in chapter 19. But, but Pilate is saying, what am I going to do with this guy? Jesus says he has this mission to be a king and he says, everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? Just like John had pointed out in his introduction to this gospel, a great emphasis has to be placed on the mission of Jesus in coming to earth. So Jesus told Pilate that yes, indeed, his mission was a kingly one. And I don't think Pilate's asking a philosophical question. I think it was less a sincere inquiry than it was a sarcastic brush off. What's truth? That's, that's a question, by the way, that is being asked in a philosophical setting. My truth, your truth, in our culture, it's like, well, truth is what you make of it. And uh, as I heard someone say recently, you're free. You can believe whatever you want to believe. And I'll stand behind that. That's true. But you know, you and I can't choose the consequences of our beliefs. That's why we, we believe that beliefs have consequences. That's where we can be an influence on our culture and on the, the young people in our church and the adults in our church for that matter. Pilate wasn't interested in absolute truth. And when he had said this, he went out again to the Jews. This is why I think Pilate had realized, I have no charges. I find no guilt in him. In other words, there is, there is nothing he's done to break Roman law that would bring me to say he needs to be executed. But he said, but you have a custom that I release someone for you at the Passover. Do you wish then that I release for you the king of the Jews? So they cried out again saying, now what's he thinking? Now this is what we can't know. Do you want me to release a real criminal back among you? Matthew, Mark, and Luke say that Barabbas, whose name means son of the father, son of Abbas, son of Abba, he's called an insurrectionist and a murderer in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John just says he's a robber. Now, this isn't the same, again, as the thief that goes and takes something off the, off the market shelf. This is the person who is, is violent in his robbery, but the other charges against him, in addition to being a robber, is that he was an insurrection, insurrectionist. Do you want me to turn the real criminal loose? Because we have this custom, somebody gets a pardon. We're going to turn somebody loose. And you know what they said. 
Yeah, let us have Barabbas. Turn him loose. You know, the ultimate place this text is taking us is to the cross of Christ. And so I don't want you to miss that that's where we're headed all the way through the Bible and that's where we're headed here. But there are applications to challenge us believers when we study a text of scripture that that challenges us to rethink our view of the kingdom of God. For that matter, our view of the kingdoms of this world because earthly power can become intoxicating in a in a religious sense and not. I, I remember the first time when I was 22 or so and I, I was able to preach at a nursing home and it was the first time in my life somebody called me pastor. This guy came up to me and said, thank you, pastor. And I thought, pastor? Nobody's ever called me that before. You ever get a title at work? And it's like, wow, wow. I, I kind of like it when people treat me with respect and, and call me by titles. That's, that's what Tolkien grabbed onto in his literature when he says men want power. We like to be one up on someone, even if it's our spouse and getting our way with our spouse or our parents, or we learn how to manipulate people in these board meetings so we get our way and we're the influence. Power is intoxicating. It is corrupting, and as philosophers have said, an absolute power corrupts absolutely. Here's some challenges beyond being pointed to the cross of Christ. We're taken back to how we view earthly kingdoms. Earthly kingdoms are a temporary necessity. When, when police officers or elected officials on a state level or a national level, uh, when, I, when I say as a, a church leader that we owe them our respect, we do. And that means even if we, in, in a country where we're free to do so, even if we are critical of their policies, we respect them because of their office. Earthly kingdoms, though, are just a temporary necessity. They are God's way of preserving order, of bringing evildoers to justice. And whatever we achieve here is not going to last forever. That means while we put energy into what we do in the temporal kingdom, and there are certain circumstances under which I will write a letter to the editor of the Chronotype, under which I will um, point out public policy things that, that affect us. But we realize it's a stewardship here, and we are to be stewards of the eternal kingdom, so we're good stewards of truth in the temporal kingdom. Here's another one. What keeps us from thinking that all is lost if, if our guy or gal doesn't get into office or all is one when our guy or gal does get into office, there are bigger things. And when we look around at injustice, we should view earthly injustices as God's means to his own end. Let me go on. That's not to say we ignore injustice and there's plenty of it in this country. There's plenty of racism that is just in, ingrained in our culture that does go back to slavery but it is to say when you suffer injustice in whatever earthly realm you're in, keep in mind while it's good to cry out for justice, it is to say that we view things, the things that we cannot change from a not of this world kingdom perspective. There are some things that are unjust that you and I cannot change. 
Some of us don't like the way we're taxed. Some of us don't like the things that the government is spending our money on. Some of us don't like the way we see public officials living and speaking and we don't like their private lives and all of the things that we see going on. We have the freedom here to do something about that. But remember, when you are hurt, while you may cry for mercy, remember that there is great purpose and all you have to do is look at the rest of, this, rest of this cross story or look at the time when Paul is arrested by national Israel and beaten and Rome has to come in and rescue him and then they leave him to rot because of their own corruption and he's sitting in jail for two years and he appeals the injustice and gets sent to Rome and ultimately is beheaded. But all of those things allow the gospel to spread across the Roman Empire. God has an end in mind that you and I don't often see. It's because there's a kingdom that is not of this world that is so much more powerful and ultimately will bring justice. You view earthly power as a temptation rather than a treasure. Praise the Lord if you're able to hold high office. Maybe someday one of you young people will hold the highest office in the land and be the leader of the free world. Praise the Lord for that. But remember, that's not where your treasure is. Jesus said, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupt and where thieves do not break in and steal. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal. What did Jesus say the principle is? Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Where's your heart? Where, where are you spending your energy? For that matter, the, 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 the hopes and the frustrations in, in both directions. Earthly power is not our treasure. It may be a temptation. So we should fight for the best treasures. I want to challenge you, whatever your religious background, whether you're here in this room or catching this later on electronically, l let me say this to you. There is a loyalty to the King of Kings who has always lived, who will always live, to enter this world to bear his Father's wrath towards sinners like you and me. Jesus died to rescue into this new kingdom everyone who would believe. And the question is not what church do you go to? The question is, have you bowed the knee to King Jesus? Do it now. Let's pray. Our Father, we bless you that you have brought your people into something so much bigger than we fight over here. Remind us of the stewardship that is ours, but remind us of the hope that we have outside this world. Thank you for the cross of Christ. Thank you for what we're going to be studying in the coming weeks and the hope that comes of a Savior who conquered sin in his death and conquered death in his resurrection. There's hope for us who can't even conquer a habit that we've held on to for years. Thank you that Jesus did that for us. In his name we pray, amen. Sing like never before, oh my soul, I worship your holy name.